and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move with you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Good morning. Great to be with you all this morning as usual. We are plodding our way through the book of Ezekiel. Tom, that was a great uh, location reference in our Bibles. Very helpful. So today we come to my personal favorite passage in Ezekiel. This is a passage that God has used in my life uh, deeply in years past and continues to use. Uh, I like it so much that we're going to spend two weeks in this passage And what we get today really is the gospel. Today we get to hear the gospel message via Ezekiel, the gospel according to Ezekiel. And I'm very excited to communicate the gospel to us all. And that's my goal today is that we would all come away having heard the gospel simply, clearly, beautifully according to the words of Ezekiel. And so you might be here this morning and you hear that word gospel. And if someone asks you, what's the gospel? You honestly don't know. You, you, I don't, I hear that word all the time. I don't know what the gospel is. My prayer is that you would walk away this morning knowing what the gospel is, not only knowing it, but saying, that's exactly what I want for my life. And for some of you, you've heard the gospel thousands of times since you were five years old. And I want to suggest to you this morning that you need to hear it again today. We need to be reminded of the gospel every day. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And that's really one of the reasons we gather on Sundays. It's simply to preach to ourselves and to one another this gospel because we forget it so quickly. And so maybe this is your first time. Maybe this is your hundredth time. But we all need to hear this beautiful gospel message, and so I'm excited to be able to give it to us through Ezekiel. Now, before I jump into the passage itself, I want to talk for a second about uh, the gospel. You'll often hear people say, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? You ever heard that? Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And on, on one hand, I'd say, actually, you know, Christianity is, it is a religion, but But what they mean by that, I agree with. And and what they're saying, I think, is that the gospel is the end of religion. When you come to terms with what the gospel is, that is the end of religious practice. And let let me just try to make a distinction here for you between the gospel and religion. So... Many human beings would agree that there is a God out there, or God's out there, right? And there's humanity. And Lot would, would acknowledge there is, a, there is a gap between the creator of the universe and little human beings like us. And the question is, what do you do? What do we do with that gap? How is that gap solved? Well, religion, in its various forms, essentially says, we need to do something to bridge that gap with God. That is what religious movements are about. How do we make movements towards God? And there's all sorts of forms that religion can take. We've probably partaken in various forms of this. Uh, sometimes it, we try to make a move toward God through, through moral behavior, through good moral living. I try to live well. That's how I bridge that gap towards this amazingly perfect God. Uh, other religions, it's more of a ceremonial uh, religion. Or there's, uh, 
we might, we might call it a, a ritual, right? There's certain rituals that you have. There's certain incantations. There's certain uh, things you have to say the right ways. And that's how you bridge that gap to God. Uh, others, it's a spiritual. You have to have this unique inner spiritual experience. That's how you ascend to the gods. For some, it's an intellectual pursuit. There's a set of beliefs. And if you believe these beliefs, that's how you bridge the gap between yourself and God. Okay? Religion is humanity's attempt to try to move towards God. It is initiated by humanity. It is empowered by humanity. And, and the, the impact of it is that human beings, when they're doing it right, they feel pretty good about themselves. Okay? And that's how you know that you're living a life of religion. You tend to vacillate between pride sometimes when you feel like you're doing a good job and you tend to judge other people who aren't doing as good a job as you. You vacillate between that and, and guilt and shame and despair when you feel like you're not living up to those, whatever those religious standards that you've set. Okay? You're vacillating between pride and despair, always on this treadmill of trying to do a better job of getting closer and closer to God. It's a fundamentally, it's a, a, a movement of human beings towards God. That's what religion is in all its various forms. The gospel is entirely in the opposite direction. The gospel is the good news about what God has done to bridge the gap between himself and human beings. The gospel is, is the movement of God towards humans. It's initiated by God. It is empowered by God. And the result of it is that God gets the glory. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, gospel means good news, not good advice. Okay. The gospel is not, here's five tips on better living. Here's five ways to make yourself closer to God. It is not good advice. The gospel is simply good news about what God has done for you. It is simply received as a free gift of grace. When you experience it, you feel not pride or guilt. Instead, you feel humbled and grateful and free. And you're not really thinking about yourself much when you experience the gospel. You're thinking about the God who has done these amazing things for you. Okay, they're fundamentally, two fundamentally different movements. Religion, humans' movement towards God, the gospel is God's movement towards us. Is all about him. See the difference? Key difference. (laughs) So today we get to hear the gospel. And here's the gospel. I'll say it to you right now. It is God's movement towards us. The gospel is this. God sent his son to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the gospel is this. God sent his spirit to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. The gospel is the sending of God's son and his spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, to do in us what we can't do for, uh, in ourselves. And so the picture I've always had is if I'm God, okay, it's hard to imagine. I'm God. The world is over here. I have this picture of a God reaching out to the world with his two arms in love. And one arm is the sending of his son and the other is the sending of his spirit. Okay. That is the gospel. And I'm going to talk about the details of how we see that in this passage in Ezekiel. All right, so let's jump to our passage. Let me remind you of the context of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet of Israel, writing to a people who have now been devastated by war and by exile. 
They've been defeated by the Babylonians. They've, their cities, their, their country has been destroyed. They've been carried off into a foreign land. They are now slaves hundreds of miles away from what they knew as life. They're utterly devastated, utterly hopeless, uh, helpless. And they're still stuck in their wayward ways. They're still disobedient. They're, they're angry with God. They're wondering, God, where have you been? And of course, the reason this happened is because they disobeyed God for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so God did what he said he would do, which is bring other people to kick them off the land in this hopeless, devastated, sinful condition. And in the second half of Ezekiel, God starts making through Ezekiel these beautiful promises to his people about how he's going to restore them, how he's going to bring hope. And in Ezekiel 36, we get the, the core, the essence of the gospel. And I just want to acknowledge around the essence of this, God is saying, there, I'm going to change your external circumstances significantly. That's what he's saying to Israel. So look at like verse 24. I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you back from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I'm going to you know, really change your external circumstances. Verse 28, you will live in the land I gave to your forefathers. Verse 30, I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field uh, so that you no longer suffer disgrace. So he's going to radically change their external circumstances. But right in the middle of that, in verse 25 through 27, he talks about this inner transformation that he's going to bring about. And that's where I want to focus our time. What is, this, what is this promise that God makes 500 years before Jesus, before the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost? And we get to look at this and look at the gospel. Two parts to this. First part, let's take a look at verse 25. I'll put it up if you don't have it. So we're going to look at the gospel in two parts, okay? Because I think it is a two-part gospel. This is part one, the most important part. God says, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Now, God is not talking about a literal washing with water here. He's using the metaphor of of water to talk about this this spiritual washing, this spiritual cleansing that he's going to bring about in his people. And let me suggest that this is what Israel needed most. They may not have realized this is what they most needed. They probably thought, we need our circumstances to change. We need someone to come in here, kick out the Babylonians, and bring us back to the land. That probably was their deepest felt need. (laughs) But this was their deepest spiritual need. Because the reality was, in all their devastation, they were still broken and messed up. They, they, they had gone, they'd been so disobedient for so long to God. And their, their hearts, their spirits were, if I can use the metaphor, were dirty. <laughs> they'd been spoiled. They'd been stained. We've talked a lot in this series about the idols that they bought into. Their, their hearts had set up other idols as gods. And that led to this living. They were violent. Uh, there was injustice. There was perversion. Uh, there was just a lot of disobedience. They had become morally dirty, stained in God's sight. And what they needed was to be washed clean of all of that. And I would suggest that that we all, in one way or another, we all relate to that metaphor of the need for a, a washing clean. That our imperfections, that whatever you want to call it, our sin, our brokenness, our selfishness, the ways we turn our backs on the God of the universe, that it is like moral dirt. It is like being covered 
in filth. And we actually even, some of us use that metaphor after we sin. You know, when you do something that just feels awful, you actually say, I feel, what do we say? I feel so dirty. And I'm guessing if we just looked at 2017, each one of us (laughs) could identify something we've done this year that just made us feel dirty. Some of us this year have watched something that you, you just can't unwatch. <laughs> you watch something you did intentionally and you can't unwatch it. And you come away going, ah, oh, I feel dirty. Some of us have said things this year. It could be to coworkers. It could be the pe- to the people we love most that are just terrible things to say to somebody. And they're, they're, they're words that you cannot unsay. And you feel, it comes out and you're like, no, I want to bring it back. And you can't unsay it. And you go, ah, oh, I feel I feel dirty. Some of us have have done things this year, this week, last night that we can't undo. And and you you know that feeling of guilt and and regret. We've talked so much about the idols that we struggle with, the the things that we set up in our hearts that are we know God doesn't want this and we and we're left feeling dirty. Or some of us in this room probably have had things done to us in our lives that we had no control over, but that have left us, I feel, because I feel damaged, I feel spoiled, I feel stained, tarnished by that. This is a horribly inadequate analogy I'm about to give, but um, you know when you're like going to go to a party on a Friday night or Saturday night, whatever, with friends, and you've got your dress on, you've got your nice shirt on, and you're in the car, you're, you're too far to turn back, and you're eating something in the car, or you're putting on some makeup, and something drops, and you get this just obvious stain, right? And it's not even like all over. It's just one stain right here, and everybody's going to be looking, you know, three inches below your, your chin the whole, the whole night, right? Or you're going into a, a big, you know, w- work meeting, and it happens, and you can't, it's too late to do anything about it, and you just got to eat it. And you just got to, you, you know that this, the, uh, the embarrassment and the, oh, I hate this. You would do anything to, to cover it up, okay? Horribly inadequate analogy. Uh, but that's how we stand before God. See, humanity's now dirty. <laughs> yep. There's this gap created by this. We, we stand before a perfect God, stained, soiled, dirty by the stuff that we do and who we are. And there's two options. Religion says you have got to clean yourself up. That is the way back to God. You have got to, you've got to get yourself right and you have got to clean yourself up. And there's a bunch of ways. You can do penance. Uh, you can just feel really bad for a long time. Maybe that'll clean you up. Or you can just try to deny it. But you've got to clean your act up. You've got to get yourself together if you want to come to God. And of course, the gospel is entirely the opposite direction. God looks at a, a bunch of broken, messy people, and he says, I will wash you. Let me wash you. And if I wash you, as it says in verse 25, you will be clean. You will be clean. So let me wash you. My wife sends me uh, pictures uh, during the work week of the girls and what they're doing. <laughs> This is our one-and-a-half-year-old Josie. This was probably two weeks ago with her Hitler mustache going there. 
<laughs> this is how we stand before the God of the universe. Now, as a father, if I come out here, I have two options to her, to, to say to her. One is this, Josie, go back in the room, clean yourself up, get in the tub, clean yourself up, wash up, honey. Big problem with that. She's one and a half. <laughs> She's utterly incapable of washing herself. And this is exactly how we stand before the God of the universe. It's exactly, uh, one and a half years, utterly incapable of washing ourselves clean of what we've done. And the gospel is God is like this parent who picks us up and says, let me wash you. Takes us into the bath, washes us clean. He says, and if I wash you, and you can picture me saying this, you will be clean. (laughs) Oh yes, you will be clean. That is the gospel. I will wash you. Now, of course, Ezekiel doesn't explain how God is going to wash us in this, in this passage. Just this promise that God will wash. But, of course, we know the answer to this. We know how God washes. 500 years after this promise, God sends his son into the world. And his son lives a perfect life, a perfectly clean and spotless life. Never says, does thinks anything that is out of line with God. And then, of course, his son goes to the cross and dies a death for us. And this is what the New Testament says happens on the cross. This is the Apostle Paul says, God made him, that's Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Here's what happened on the cross. Jesus took all our dirt All our sin, all our junk, all our stains, all of that. And all of that was put on him. He became that dirty, stinky sin. And God, uh, he, he judged that sin on Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid the penalty that is deserving of all of that stuff. He did it. He took on God's justice and wrath. So that we wouldn't have to. So that in Jesus, by faith in what happens here, we might become the righteousness of God. So that Jesus' perfection, his spotless purity would be given to us like brand new clothes that we put on. So that when God looks at us now, when we put our faith in Jesus, he says, I just see you clothed in the purity of my son. I don't see a messy, broken, I see A righteous, is the word used here, a righteous son, a righteous daughter. I have washed you clean through the blood of my son. Amen? Amen. That's the gospel. Now, we sing this song all the time. Are you washed in the blood? It's a strange metaphor to be washed in blood, right? But that's the beauty of it. It's his blood, it's his death that washes us clean. And so we sing this song all the time, and we're, we're asking our own souls... Soul, has this happened to you? Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? And if you're here this morning and you've never heard the gospel before, that's the gospel, what I just articulated. You can be washed clean through the death of Jesus Christ. And so I would ask you, have you been to Jesus? You can come to him today for his cleansing power. Those of us that have heard this a million times, how about this? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you sitting here knowing I'm acceptable to God, not because I kicked booty this week in my moral, you know, in my quiet times, or whatever it might have been. No, 
I stand acceptable. I can sing songs, and he receives them and delights them, not because of anything I've done. It's because I'm trusting what Jesus did for me. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. So are you washed? Have you been washed? Are you reminded of your washing today? That is the heart of the gospel. Now, as great as that is, that's actually only half of the gospel. (laughs) It's the most important half. It is the essence and core. But there is another half to the gospel. And I'm going to spend next week elaborating on the second half, but I want to to touch on it this morning. And it's what God says next. So that was uh, verse 25. Take a look at verse 26. Here's the second half of the gospel. And it is one side of the other, you know, two sides of the same coin. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Okay, think about what, I, what we just articulated. As beautiful as that was, what I just described, that doesn't change my heart. Okay? That changes how God sees me. It changes the, the, the relationship with God. And he sees me as righteous. But the rest, I can still have a broken, messy, completely dysfunctional heart. I'm going to keep doing these things. Even if God sees me differently, great. But what's going to change me from the inside out? Well, that's the second half of the gospel. God promises, not only will I wash you clean, but I'm going to give you a new heart. And what he's talking about here is a supernatural heart transplant, right? I'm going to remove... I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. We're going to spend all next week talking about that phrase. One of my favorite phrases in all the Bible. The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to send my own spirit to dwell within you. And the Israelites knew God's spirit, that, he, that, that the spirit of God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem in the Holy of Holies. And God is saying that very spirit that, that dwelt in that holy place is going to invade your hearts And my spirit will get inside of your hearts and move you to obey my commands. Up till that point, commands were just these things on on stone tablets, things on paper, external, that they could see, here's how God wants you to live. And they're like, yeah, I see that. The problem is I got this heart that's messed up. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that law and I'm going to make it internal. I'm going to write it on your hearts through my spirit. I'm going to move you so that you can begin to do the things that I want you to do. So the very things I'm asking of you, I will see to it that you can do those things through my spirit. And there's a really interesting dynamic in in Ezekiel about how this transformation happens. Earlier in Ezekiel, God says to the Israelites, we didn't go over this earlier in the series, but he says this, Rid yourselves of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. (laughs) There's a way I want you to live. Guys, get new hearts and new spirits. Problem? They can't do it. (laughs) And so he promises here, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And this, this dynamic you see at the very beginning of his relationship, even back in Deuteronomy, before they entered the promised land, Moses had said the very, very same thing to them. He'd said, People of Israel, circumcise your hearts, change your hearts. Don't be stiff-necked any longer. And you watch the history of Israel, and what you realize is they just can't obey this command. They just can't do it. (laughs) 
These hearts keep wandering. They're just prone to wander, as the song goes. And we can all relate to that experience. And so even back then, when God commands them to do this, even back then he says, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to go into exile, but I will bring you back into the land. This is Moses speaking. Uh, that belong to your forefathers. And the Lord will circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul. With all your mind. I've commanded you to do this. You can't do it. I will do the very thing that you can't do inside yourself. And I will do it through my spirit. And so as Christians, of course, we, we believe the fulfillment to this promise comes 500 years later when God sends his spirit at the day of Pentecost. And that the Holy Spirit invades the hearts of his people. And you you see these disciples, these men who had followed Jesus for three years in this very bumbling, half-hearted, stiff-necked, weird way. All of a sudden, you see this new passion, this new dedication to the Lord. And these crowds of people that had followed Jesus just for the miracles, but but turned on him the minute they didn't like what, what they heard from him. All of a sudden, you have these mass conversions. You have this, just this, this radical inner transformation happening through the pouring out of the spirit. And men and women in this room can attest to a time in their lives where they had been living a certain way. And then God's spirit entered their hearts and gave them new affections, new desires. Didn't make them perfect, but transformed them from the inside out. So they begin to have a new heart, a heart for God and for his ways. So that is the gospel. The movement of God towards humanity, God sending his son to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is to wash us clean and sending his spirit to do in us what we can't do for ourselves. Give us new, clean hearts. That's, by the way, what it means to be born again. Uh, maybe you've heard that phrase before. I'm a born again Christian. You ever wonder what being born again means? Um, this is what it means to be born again. It means to be washed clean and to be filled with God's spirit. Uh, Jesus, do you know Jesus coined that phrase born again? Do you know that? Yeah, it comes from him. He's having a conversation with Nicodemus in John three, right? This religious leader of the day. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And remember, Nicodemus says, how's that? A guy can't enter into his mother's womb when he's old. How does that work? Jesus clarifies. Look at how he clarifies. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. By born again, what I mean is being born of water and the spirit. What is he talking about? He's talking about Ezekiel 36. (laughs) Is born by a cleansing that God does through his son and a new heart that God gives through his Holy Spirit. And, and, and Nicodemus says, how can these things be? This is so radical what you're talking about. So how, how can this be? And, and remember Jesus' response, you're Israel's teacher. You don't know this? And this is, haven't you read your Ezekiel 36, Nicodemus? It's right there. This is what it means to be born again, to be cleansed by God's Son, and to be given a new heart by his Spirit. It is so radical. It is so supernatural. It is something that only God can do. And that's what I want to leave us with, is that idea that it's something that only God can do. Look at your passage one more time. Notice the tenor of this, beginning of verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you. I will sprinkle you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone. I will put my Spirit in you. Okay? I will save you from all your uncleanness. 
God is simply declaring what he is going to do. There's not one word of advice in this passage. There's nothing, you're not commanded to do anything here. God is saying, let me tell you, my people, what I will do for you. And if you go back to the beginning of the passage that, that Tom read in verse 22, he, sa- he even says, and guess what? I'm not even doing this for your sake. <laughs> I'm doing this for my sake. I'm doing this for the sake of my name. That the nations would see what I do in you and they would say, wow, the God of Israel is the one true God. And of course we know other places, he does do it for our sake. He does it out of love and compassion and pity on us. He's moved by our need to do it for our sake, but his even deeper purposes, he does it for his own sake so that he receives the glory because that's what the gospel is all about. It's initiated by God, it is empowered by God, and the result is that God gets the glory. So that we look there, we just say, we just step back and go, I feel so lucky. I feel so lucky. Why did you do this for me? I don't totally get it, but I want to receive it. And I am so lucky and humbled, and you are God, that they would know that my name is the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to read you. What time is it? Give me a time here. Do we have, got, you guys got five minutes in you? I bet you do. Okay. I don't care what time it is. I want to read, I'm reading uh, to my daughter's Chronicle, Chronicles of Narnia right now. We're in, right now we're in the uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's this great scene. Uh, there's a, the main character in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader is this boy named Eustace, who's this spoiled, awful little brat, okay? Very selfish, self-centered kid, and he ends up in this world Narnia. He ends up on an island, and he wanders into this cave, and it's a dragon's cave, and it's got all this dragon jewels, and he, he takes one of the rings and puts it on his, on his arm, uh, and he falls asleep at night. And, and when he wakes up, he's, he's become a dragon. <laughs> and of course, him becoming a dragon is, is just a, phy- a physical metaphor for his heart condition. <laughs> he is a dragon at heart. He, he, is, he is this awful, beastly boy. And, and he finally, as a dragon, he, he begins to realize just what a beastly boy he's been. And he has this encounter uh, with Aslan, who is, of course, the Christ figure in the story. And, and he recounts the encounter to um, Edmund. And this is how it goes. This is Eustace speaking. Well, last night, I was more miserable than ever. And that beastly arm ring was, was hurting. He woke up, and, of course, the ring fit him when he was a boy. But as a dragon, it was, it was crunching down on his, on his leg. Well, anyway, I looked up, and I saw the very last thing I expected, a huge lion coming slowly towards me. Well, it came close up to me and looked straight into my eyes. I shut my eyes tight, but that wasn't any good because it told me to follow, follow it. And Edmund says, you mean it spoke? Well, I don't know. Now that you mention it, I don't think it did, but it told me all the same. And I knew I'd have to do what it told me. So I got up and I followed it. So at last, we came to the top of a mountain I'd never seen before. And on the top of this mountain, there was a garden, trees and fruit and everything in the middle of it. And in the middle of it, there was a well. I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom of it. But it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. The water was as clear as any, anything. I thought, if I could just get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if it said the words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I didn't have any clothes on. And when I suddenly thought, that dragons are snaky sorts of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course I thought that's what the lion means. 
So I started scratching myself, and the scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper, and instead of just scales coming off in here, here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness, or as if it was a banana. In a minute or two, I just I stepped right out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll just have to get out of that one too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again, and I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to, to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin just like the other two and stepped out. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I, I just lay flat on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, after you've picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy O, but it is fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I had done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me and he threw me into the water. It hurt at first like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it was perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. And I just love that picture. It captures religion is all these things we try to do <laughs> to scratch off the, the beastliness. And the gospel is this God who says, let me wash you. Let me give you a new heart. And so if you're here this morning and you, you've never heard the gospel, that's the gospel. God says, I want to wash you. I want to give you a new heart. And today could be the day where you say yes to the gospel where you say, yes, Lord, I say yes to your son. I want to trust that what he did washes me clean of all these bad things I've done and all the things I will continue to do. And I want to say yes to your spirit. I, I need you, God, to come and invade my life. I can't do this on my own anymore. Do this for me. You can say yes today. You can be born again today. And I'm going to pray in a minute, and I, I invite you to pray with me. If that's where you are. And some of you, you're here and, and you've heard this a million times. <laughs> and yet you have slipped back slowly into this life of religion. We had a staff retreat um, just a month ago and, and we had a solo kind of devotional time. And, and I started the time and I just felt tired. And, and the thing I said to God was, if I look at my life and go, God, I feel like I'm trying so hard to live well. <laughs> And what I needed was just to be reminded of the gospel. God's saying, 
you've been washed. It's what I do. It's not what you do. And so maybe today you need to be reminded of that. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to celebrate communion, which is just a great way to, to finish our time together. Let's pray. Father, (laughs) it is not about what we do for you. It is about what you have done for us. And so this morning, we want to say thank you. We want to say yes. We want to be like kids on Christmas morning who just get to open this gift again and receive it as a gift. And so that's what we say to you. Maybe for the first time in our lives today, we say yes, Father. We trust you. We receive you. We want that washing that comes through Jesus. We trust in it. We embrace it. We say, yes. And we want that change inside our hearts that we can't do. We've tried so hard to do for ourselves. We can't do it. And we say that we surrender. We're going to stop trying. We're going to receive your spirit. We're going to give you control. We say, yes, take control. And so whatever ways we need to do that today, Lord, we say yes to your your free gift. And Lord, why don't we just take a moment, why don't you lift up one person in your life who does not know the gospel, um, who you want desperately to know the gospel. And just pray for them in your heart by name that God would grab hold of their hearts and minds and bring freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.